is a very good question about uh, delusion or ignorance and if I could say a few words on that and in Pali there are two words which usually express that the one is avidja usually translated as ignorance the other is moha usually translated as delusion the moha delusion is one of the three roots of the unwholesome the lopa, dosa, moha greed, hatred and delusion and avidja the ignorance is mentioned in the series of dependent origination so it is given as a cause of suffering just like the tanha craving is a cause of suffering so it is a very important and profound subject because if we can abandon avidja and turn it into vidya if we can turn ignorance into knowledge and if we can uh, see through delusion and instead see things as they truly are and instead of having delusion we develop vision and knowledge nanyana dasana and we develop the understanding insight and wisdom and then we have finished our whole Dhamma work without uh, ignorance, without delusion there will be uh, no more suffering it's all, all over <coughs> the first I may like to mention uh, there is sometimes a misunderstanding particularly when we say ignorance in English it often means uh, that we don't know but uh, the delusion of Vidya is actually more pernicious because if we don't know then often at least we know that we don't know now, for example right now I don't know the Bobby's phone number I probably actually have it somewhere in the calendar and so on but right now if you ask me for his phone number I wouldn't know that and if you ask me I would immediately say no I actually can't remember that by heart this is not really so much avidja or delusion avidja delusion would be if I think I know your phone number but I know it wrongly two digits are actually wrong you see this is a much more serious problem because I'm under the delusion that I know So almost by definition, one isn't really aware of delusion because the moment you are aware of delusion it's no longer really delusion. It can be real delusion only as long as it is giving us the illusion that we know correctly. So the Buddha, for example, would define avidya by an ignorance about the Four Noble Truth. The ignorance about dukkha, suffering, ignorance about the cause of suffering. 
ignorance about the end of suffering and ignorance about the path that leads to the end of suffering. Now how does it manifest? What is ignorance about suffering? Now if I think that my suffering is actually happiness, <laughs> this is the most severe delusion. And we can see that quite a bit. Now the Buddha once gave an example of the person suffering from leprosy. And uh, like in India, I can see that even nowadays, and some people still suffer from that and are begging. And imagine one person, and they're sitting at a fire, and they are cauterizing their diseased stumps and limbs. Because uh, actually leprosy is not only that you start losing your fingers and so on, it's also very painful and also has mental effects. But for this person it may appear when they have their diseased and severely injured skin, when they put it close to the fire, they may feel like it's actually good for them. But of course we all know it would not be good and it will make it worse. But the person feels like that. There may be a better simile or example which is more common in our society. And if you have a mozzie bite, and they tend to be quite itchy. Is it usually a good idea to scratch the mozzie bite a lot? Does it mean you never do it? <laughs> you probably think that it's itchy and then suddenly you start scratching and it gives you a short moment of relief. But now the, the itch just gets stronger. And if you continue scratching, what happens now, we, we may, um, it starts bleeding and it may get infected and it just all gets worse. Now this is a perfect example. And uh, one typical thing that we think is happiness is by holding on, by clinging. It's very curious now, that we have this delusion that holding on to things is what will give us happiness. And you can see in the people even holding on to very painful mind states, for example. It's not just other people, material possessions, but sometimes we are determined to hold on to mind states which just are very disappointing and painful for us. The depression. Have you ever really wallowed in having the blues? Poor me, and it's also unfair, and they treat me all really badly, and why is it always me? And it can be quite addictive and once you get into that line of thought, and we may spend all night binging about poor me and how unfair it is to me, and always blah blah. It doesn't make us happy at all, no, obviously, but we are holding on to that mind state. similar with external possessions. The people holding on to other people, loved ones, people holding on to their possessions, their house, their car, because the delusion, the ignorance is that they think this is happiness. And the more I have, and the tighter I hold it, the happier I will be. 
So if I have lots of stuff and I hold it very tightly, oh, that is happiness. Unfortunately, it's a delusion. <laughs> the reality, you know, the more we hold on and the more tightly we hold on and the to more stuff, you know, the more suffering we will have. So this is one uh, example you know, about Avidja regarding the first noble truth that what actually brings us suffering not only don't we recognize it but even the direct opposite we think this is what gives us happiness uh, second, uh, the second noble truth uh, the cause of suffering craving, yeah, that wouldn't be delusion that would be vidra that would be knowledge, that would be insight, that would be wisdom. If you say the cause of suffering is the craving in my heart. But this is not usually what people feel. I guess everyone here probably has some suffering. Do we have anyone who is absolutely, perfectly happy? No problems in your life, no difficulties, no pain, no disappointment, no suffering. Could someone show up, please? <laughs> no one? Not a single one. You're, you're all, all suffering. Uh, but when you look now at your suffering, what, what do you really feel is the cause? Do you maybe think it is your spouse or the kids, or one of the kids who is just going through difficult teenage year and messing up in school. Or maybe you think it's your boss or your mother-in-law. This, this is how it looks like. Ne? It look, always looks like it's one of these guys outside. They give me the pain. Or sometimes not a person, sometimes it's also an, an events that are happening. Whether it's a climate, or if it wasn't so stuffy hot in, in Brazil in summer, I would be happy. Like, how can I be happy if it's so hot? In the winter, of course, it's too cold. Ne? And how can I be happy if uh, we have this whole coronavirus thing and how can I be happy if you have such hopeless politicians and so on? It's always something outside. How can I be happy if something so unfortunate happens to me? Why always to me? Happenings, external happenings, and that looks like it is the cause of suffering. But that is a delusion. <laughs> the, the, the correct answer is, as you said, it's a craving in our own heart. But does it look like that? No. In fact, the delusion convinces you that the craving in your own heart is the source of your happiness. We have just had the meal. In German, it is customary when you sit down for the meal that you wish each other good appetite. So before you start chucking into, into it all, Everyone wishes each other a good appetite, good appetite. 
And obviously, you know, that is based on the delusion that the more appetite, the more hunger you have, you know, the more you will enjoy the, the meal. You know, this is obviously not completely, not completely wrong. The delusion is often particularly tricky you know, um, if, if there's also some aspects which indicate that direction that makes it much easier then for delusion to deceive us. And it's the same with um, salesmen and politicians. If they're just completely lying through their teeth all the time, you probably will not believe them. So they also have to feed you a little bit of truth in order for you to also buy into the lies. And of course, it is, it is true that if hunger is the best cook, and if you're in the full up and someone serves you a three-star meal, it will not be particularly attractive. Whereas if you're really starving or you have been on a diet, severe diet, and then someone serves you just an average meal, then you will be highly delighted. But on a deeper level, you wouldn't get any real happiness from it. But it looks like it. It looks like if I have craving and then the means to satisfy it, now this is happiness. This is actually the whole delusion in our society. I have got strong cravings and a lot of money so that I can satisfy the cravings and then I'll be happy. Now does it work? Now look at the people who try to live like that. Now there's quite famous ones who had heaps of money and who used that money to try out everything. And if you read about them or meet someone like that, do they really have happiness? The happiest people I have met is a Buddhist monk who did the opposite. Who constantly went against the stream of craving. And they seem to have found happiness from that. So we can again see now how pernicious this whole delusion thing is. What is actually causing us pain and suffering, we latch onto it thinking it's happiness. What is causing us pain and suffering, like craving, we believe will be causing us joy and, and satisfaction. And then the uh, third noble truth, the delusion, the ignorance there, simply that we have never experienced a cessation of suffering, we can't quite imagine it. And then the path leading there, again, if we are under the delusion that having things and holding on and following our craving will give us happiness, then obviously we will practice the opposite of the Eightfold Path. We will not practice restraint, but we will practice an immoderation and indulgence. Usually people think the indulgence will give us happiness. One can try it out, even with sleep. If you're very busy and you can't get enough sleep, you probably feel, if I could just sleep in, it would be so wonderful. But if we do it, have you ever tried not really sleeping the whole weekend and ending up just like being completely wiped out? 
know, this is with all the sensual desires. You know, the more we indulge them, uh, the less happiness we get from them. So there's one way we can look at in a particular avidya, which the Buddha explained by misunderstanding and wrong understanding the Four Noble Truths. Taking what is dukkha as happiness, taking possessions and holding on as happiness, taking following craving and indulgence as happiness, when in reality it's suffering. And believing that restraint and renunciation is suffering when it's actually happiness <laughs> goes in both directions. Another way of looking at it is the uh, vipanasa, the distortions, because they are kind of you know, the clockwork or the mechanics of delusion, how delusion works. And then there are three or four delusions. Dukhe, Sukhasanya, Aniche, Nichesanya, Anate, Atasanya, and Asubhasanya. Perceiving that which is actually unattractive as beautiful and alluring uh, for example, this body. Now, most people think that uh, the bodies, at least the bodies of movie stars and models, are attractive. Now, someone who has truly seen the nature of the body would never think that a human body, any human body, is possibly attractive. It requires delusion to see that. This is why for a rendezvous, when you're meeting up, boy and girl, it's usually very uh, shady lighting, just some candlelight or some <laughs> very uh, diminished light, so that you can uh, sustain the delusion. And this is why they spend both a uh, long time beforehand to uh, hide the nature of the unattractiveness of the body. This is why people can spend hours in the bathroom. It's all an effort to support and sustain the delusion that this body is uh, attractive. It has to remove you know, all the unattractive smell and substitute it by all these smells which they often actually take from animals. But anyway, <laughs> people put that onto their body. They put the makeup, they put the jewelry, they dress up and can take, take, take hours. And it's all designed to sustain this delusion that the body is something attractive. And then you meet in places like, like clubs and bars, there's just this flickering light and somewhat darkish, and the, this delusion can be sustained. And you put some music on, and then you increase it by taking alcohol. And these drugs and intoxicants, the one thing which is so pernicious about them, they obviously increase delusion. Once after uh, after a bottle of wine, even someone who doesn't look like a movie or film star becomes kind of acceptable. And after a bottle of whiskey, even someone who looks outright unattractive may look attractive. This is how delusion works.
And this is why it goes together with, with these uh, intoxicants. So on a, regarding the human body you know, as attractive and alluring and beautiful, uh, that is a vipalasa, it's a distortion of our perception. Someone who has abandoned defilements, on the other hand, uh, can't see that anymore. Can't perceive it that way. They can still have metta, they can find human beings attractive in the sense you know, that they wish them well for their well-being but they wouldn't be attracted by a body. Have you already talked about Dukhe Sukhasanyana, seeing happiness and what is actually suffering? Now this is why we have so much pain, because we continue running after pain. <laughs> this pain, we don't get out of it. And they go through this a devastating divorce and the whole trauma and then before long they fall in love again and want to marry again some people get married seven times and it's still looking for the happiness there they're running after money, running after entertainments, holidays and they're not noticing that it doesn't lead to happiness And then uh, seeing permanence and what is impermanent. The seeing reliability in what is actually unreliable and untrustworthy. Now, for example, our body. Now we, we walk around with this subconscious, somewhat subconscious, in a distorted perception that I can rely on this body that will be with me basically forever. Of course, you know, rationally, if, if you ask me, you know, what, of course I would say, oh, I know that I've got to die one day and so on. But deeper down, what we feel like with this delusion, with this distorted perception, is that I can actually rely on this body. This is why it's so shocking when you're in an accident. Why is an accident uh, so traumatizing? Hmm? Yeah, because suddenly you're walking around, you think, I can rely on this body. And I can rely on this body of my spouse and the body of my dog and so on, because you can't quite imagine that they're suddenly, uh, suddenly gone. And an accident, we may experience it, and that can you know, blow us away. Because you know, that distortion is there, that the body is something stable and reliable. Now, this is why we are so shocked if we go to the doctor and then comes the, all the tests and the blood test and the other tests they're doing and the screening and so on and then suddenly you get some bad result and there's a big C or something like that. The shock we feel and the, the stress and so on is because of the previous the delusion that this body will be continuing with me. This is why the Buddha recommends us to contemplate impermanence. 
and that is a way of encountering this delusion. And it's really deeply built in, it's like wearing specs. If you don't wear specs, don't wear glasses, and then you put on glasses, and it will be all distorted. Or if you put on the wrong glasses, and then we are in a situation of someone who has been wearing the wrong glasses for eons, for lifetimes. So one doesn't realize it's distorted, one, one has become used to it. Actually fascinating that happens. Now you can give people these particular glasses and they flip everything upside down. So if you look through that, it will be quite uh, confusing in the beginning because you see everything upside down. However, if you wear that for a while, they have shown that in experiments, at some stage your brain will adjust. And it, your brain flips it around. So you wear glasses which flip everything upside down. And like what you can do on your selfies you know, with a program. You can flip them left, right and up, down. So you wear something like this and after some time your brain is doing that automatically. And you're no longer even aware what's going on. It's a little bit like that. Now this distortion is built in and we see all these impermanent things as reliable and permanent and trustworthy when they are not. Um, so we have to counter it by constantly reminding us. Because this is uh, quite deep. It's quite deep in the mind. So there has to be a, in the beginning, before we have you know, the, the real insight into that, there has to be a constant effort to remind us. And then the and a very profound one, which is almost like you know, the, the root of all the delusions and all the ignorance, is you know, the delusion of I, me, mine and self. You see, if you, if you try to find that, you, you, you can't really find it. And it also doesn't make sense, but we are constantly constructing that. Of course, now there's, there's a body, and I, I can touch that, I can feel that, you can see it. But the whole thing, this is my body, this is something I very artificially introduce. This is a delusion in my mind, which I now project out into this whole world. When you go into a shop, you take you know, one of the nice things there, and a, a new leather bag or whatever, and they go to the cashier and you pop your credit card. And then there's this electronic transaction on the credit card. And now you walk off with the bag. But what has actually changed? The only thing has changed is something in your mind and also in the mind of the shopkeeper. In your mind is not the delusion that this is my bag now. And the shopkeeper would also agree on that. The shopkeeper thinks this is my money now. But where does this my come from? It's actually not really there. It's only something which we create and put into it. And once we see you know, that this whole I, me, mind, self is only something which we invent and then project it out onto all these things as a function of delusion. And then we, we start discovering what's actually going on. 
is a completely um, arbitrary and artificial process. Now, this body consists of earth, water, heat and wind. And all of these things are constantly going in and out. But still I somehow appropriate them as me and mine. And when does it become mine? Is this water mine? Is the water in the tap mine? And I put it into my, my glass and now I drink it and now it's mine? Is that my water now? It doesn't, doesn't really make too much sense. I'm sweating, I have to go to the toilet. It goes in and out and all the elements are like that. It's just like someone walking around and claiming that, that the moon is theirs. Someone says, oh, did you know I own the moon? It's mine. You would think, hang on, how did they get that idea? And this sounds pretty weird. But for someone who has understood the Dhamma, walking around and claiming that uh, this is my body, this is I, sounds just as wacky as well. Someone who has truly seen that this I, me, mine is actually a delusion. It wouldn't be so bad if it didn't additionally lead us constantly into pain and suffering. If someone believes that the moon is there, it's pretty wacky, but it may not lead to too much suffering. But if you believe that this body is yours, and that the body of your wife is yours, and the body of your children is yours, you will end up with a lot of disappointment. Because you will have to notice now that you can't control these bodies, they're out of control. And out of control is which shows us that we don't really own it. Because ownership implies control. And we can easily see it doesn't make sense to claim ownership if I can't control it. It's the very definition of ownership. Now I have got control. So if you claim ownership over your body, have you got control over your body? Please make it 10 years younger. I think your wife would like your body 10 years younger. Can't you do that? Can you make it at least one year younger? Not even one second. <laughs> Not even one second. So this is one way we can start undermining that delusion of ownership of I, me, mine, self by investigating and noticing that it's impermanent, out of control. Because then we start to understand, no, actually I do not really own that. And when we understand I don't really own it, it's not really me, now that is uh, aligning with reality, that is uh, getting out of delusion. Now there's a good follow-on question. So, uh, the next question now is what's the difference between equanimity and indifference? And it's a very good follow-on question because the difference is exactly the ignorance. Equanimity comes from wisdom, insight, understanding and uh, indifference comes from ignorance and delusion. That is a difference here. It may look 
pretty much the same sometimes externally. You know, for example, you know, someone um, maybe loses a family member to death and they're not having any grief, they're not upset. So what is it? Is it equanimity or is it indifference? And uh, indifference means the person just doesn't care, they have no affection, they have no uh, respect, no, no love for that person. And that's the very reason that they don't mind if they die. But uh, equanimity would be someone who does appreciate that person and who does respect them but they let go based on understanding impermanence and that is why they are not upset and why they are not grieving. So it looks often quite similar but what it really is and it depends on the difference in ignorance or knowledge, the difference in delusion or understanding. Atan Shah compared that to the, the equanimity of the water buffalo, which is not equanimity, it's just indifference. No, they're just ignorant, they just don't care. As long as they have some water and some hay, they don't really mind. And then they are just you know, eating, standing in the water, and then being okay with that, and don't bother them. But this is not coming from wisdom or understanding at all. Whereas the, the Buddha wouldn't be upset when his father finally died. Or the Buddha wouldn't even be upset when Venabhasari Buddha, Venabhasari the passed away before him. But something completely different. He would appreciate his father very highly and have gratitude to his parents. He wouldn't fully understand more than anyone else the outstanding qualities of his chief disciples and all the goodness they have created in supporting the sasana. But he's still not upset when they pass away because he has seen and understood impermanence and has abandoned all attachment, all craving, all delusions of possessions. Now, a deluded person may lose something. Now, they may smash a vase and they don't really mind because they don't know it's a Ming vase which is two million dollars. <laughs> a person who has a great insight may smash their vase which, uh, and they know exactly this is a Ming vase, two million dollars, but they can just let go. They just let go because they say anything that's been put together will fall apart, will happen at, st at some stage anyhow. And any possession will never give me any happiness. And they just let go. So you have two people, it looks the same, they're smashing these vase, and one person doesn't bother, the other one also doesn't bother. But in one case it's just complete ignorance and he doesn't realize, he thinks it's just his old vase, never matter, doesn't matter. The other person is fully aware of what it is, but due to their insight they can just let go and they remain at ease.
And so in order to uh, turn indifference into equanimity, we have to develop the wisdom, understanding and overcome delusion. One has to be a little bit careful with the practice of equanimity because sometimes people are not sharp enough in their mindfulness and their wisdom to distinguish them. And they may rather drift into either indifference or sometimes also into aversion. Sometimes when people practice equanimity, it may actually be a subtle form of aversion. But just maybe ignoring someone. I don't like someone and now I ignore them. This is actually not really equanimity. Because if, if you're being ignored, it can be quite uh, distressing for someone. And uh, a real equanimity would be, although you dislike that person, you are very friendly. If you have equanimity, you have no liking or disliking to this person, so you continue to be uh, polite and friendly. So one has to be careful when trying to develop equanimity. I have seen it happening that people get a little bit into a state of aversion or sometimes more like indifference or carelessness. And in terms of samadhi, one has to go through the first, second, third jhana. Anyhow, this one first has to develop gladness, joy, rapture, happiness and bliss and so on, and then come out on the other end. The true equanimity is beyond, higher than joy and happiness. This is uh, once someone can let go even of of bliss. But if one is already in a quite unhappy state, it may not be so easy to develop the full equanimity. Yeah, yeah. Avijja is one of the um, three asavas, karma asava, bhava asava, avijja asava. The asavas are the corruptions. It's difficult to translate. Sometimes it's called corruptions, sometimes it's called inflows, sometimes outflows. This is a very deep uh, defilement in our mind. And the Buddha classified them as you know, the corruption or the flowing out, you know, the mind flowing out into the world, in, into sensuality, or into you know, a being, Bhavasava, or into you know, avidya, into ignorance. And as I said, you, know, you create this whole thing about I, me, mine, and self, and then you push it out into the world, the thought flows out. There's nothing in the flower to make it yours. When you buy the flower and then you think it's my flower. It comes out of your mind. You put it out of your mind. This whole thing, I, me, mind, self, is created in our mind out of delusion and craving and then we project it out. But the mind also flows out into sensuality. If you were not interested in interesting, gratifying experiences in the five senses, then the mind would just stay inside in samadhi. 
the mind is getting the kind of pushed out by our craving to go out into the world. And the being, being is another one, is quite closely related to the delusion of I and mine. Once you have an I, you want to be. The I am. If you have an I, you need an am. I am. I create this being, this existence. Here's one. Some people appear to carry on with lives with the delusion of I, me, mind, self until the end. What have they missed in life compared to those with wisdom? Now they have missed Nibbana. They have missed the end. They have missed the end of suffering. And the, the end is not death. Now if you continue with the delusion of I, me, mine and self, now you will die and get reborn and the suffering continues and the circle is endless. So rather than asking what have they missed compared to those with wisdom, I would go the other way around. Because the ones with wisdom, they have missed Sangsava. <laughs> they, they miss Dukkha. The ones who have abandoned the delusion of I, me, mine and self are the ones who are free from Dukkha and have ended in the circle of death and uh, rebirth. And the ones who still have the delusion of I, me, mine and self, they are missing out on the end of Dukkha. They are missing out on freedom and liberation. And they continue enmeshed in this endless circle of birth and death. Yeah, now there's a question about, again, equanimity and indifference and uh, someone is seeing another being suffering and uh, the suggestion is that even if they have equanimity that they can still uh, arouse the intention uh, wanting to help them and I would agree. The equanimity is not an obstruction to helping others where the indifference usually would be. If you feel indifferent then you just wouldn't bother you may also simply not notice that they are suffering. Whereas the person with equanimity may be quite sharp and they may pick up that they are suffering. Of course, in the moment when they arouse the intention to help, they go a little bit more into Karuna. But uh, that is obviously possible not to move between the different Brahma Viharas. So I would uh, think this is a good example for describing the difference here. And equanimity is neither liking nor disliking. But uh, the intention of helping someone doesn't have to come from liking or disliking. It can come simply from uh, selfless loving-kindness. But it also means that the person with equanimity may uh, realize that it's not possible to help or not efficient. Because you will notice that it's not always possible to help all beings who are suffering. Because, uh, again, the traveling in India, one 
think people sometimes struggle with them because you may want to help, how are you going to help all these people? You know, if you're in some other war area and so on, and then it may become quite overwhelming. Whereas a person with equanimity then also can let go. And when they realize that it's not possible to help, similarly some people may not want to be helped. So if you have equanimity, you will realize it and then accept it. As if you don't have equanimity and are just motivated and that you're now shocked by the suffering and then you and they may uh, insist on trying to help that person and you may get into a fight in the end. So the advantage of equanimity is you know, that you are free to act in whichever way is the most suitable. And if it is you know, appropriate and suitable and possible, then you may help. But uh, if it is actually not possible or might be counterproductive or whatever, or exceed your own uh, abilities, then you would also be able to recognize that and then, then let go and be able to just let go. Okay, very interesting discussion. Anamutana for the very first good question and my apologies if it was maybe for newcomers not the easiest one. This was quite a profound question. Now, these are the most deep defilements in the mind. Uh, avicca, ignorance, delusion the delusion of I, self, me and mine. So um, I hope it still made a little bit of sense to everyone. See you next time.